0: Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.
1: From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters, a weekly radio news magazine that looks at the issues, events, and people in the Lone Star State. Today on Texas Matters, A Texas county will hold its Republican primary election old school. The voting counting will be done by hand. Why are they doing this, and what are the concerns? There are a lot of guns in Texas, but what does that mean for reducing life expectancy? And the story of a legendary Texas wrestling family comes to the big screen, but is it fact or fiction? This is Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. After hearing the repeated big lie that voting machines were tampered with and flipped votes in the 2020 election, causing Donald Trump to lose his presidential re-election, many Republicans want to ditch all voting machines. But there's no evidence to support that voting machines did anything wrong. But there is plenty of evidence that this Stop the Steal lie was invented to benefit Trump's nefarious efforts to overturn the established election results. But here in Texas, the demand to junk voting machines and switch to hand counting for ballots has taken root. There are reports that Travis County's Republican Party might decide to adopt a hand count for the March primary, but one county has made that decision, Gillespie County, a Hill Country Republican stronghold of about 30,000 people. It should be noted that the Republican Party has also made a lot of noise over the years about voter security and the need to pass tougher voter restriction laws to restore trust in the election system. But it turns out going to hand counting of ballots counters those concerns. It dramatically increases the likelihood for inaccuracies in the count, and it takes much longer to get the final results. And hand counting doesn't remove the possibility of switching votes. It's just now done by hand. But what Gillespie County is trying out could be the future of Texas elections, depending on how well it works and if Republicans continue to suspect without evidence that there's a rat in the electronic voting system. Natalia Contreras is a reporter for the nonprofit newsroom VoteBeat and is covering the story.
2: Gillespie has been planning this for a few months. They um, Actually, the Republican Party there made this decision in August um, to not use the tabulators, the machines that count the votes uh, for hand count for for the upcoming election in the primary.
1: So are we talking specifically about what's happening in Gillespie County only, or is this happening in other counties across the state?
2: So, so far, based on the reporting that I've done, I mean, I've tried to talk to as many uh, people in the Republican Party as I can about this. I've also, you know, gotten public records. Uh, from the Secretary of State to try to look into who else uh, may be doing this. So far, it seems like Delphi is the only county um, that's moving forward with this. A few things that that um, that we need to consider when uh, talking about hand counting. It's not as easy as okay, making a decision to hand count and then it's done. Um, a few things that we have to think about when this happens is what the law says about hand counting in Texas. So counties, especially the large counties that use vote centers on Election Day, vote centers are the polling locations you can you can vote anywhere in the county. With hand counting, that would not be possible. So that's one of the reasons why the large counties that were considering considering hand counting earlier this year, Bear County, Dallas County, and other counties, um, they decided against it because they would not be able to use those vote centers. It would require them using more polling locations because Texas law says that if you are going to hand count election results, they have to be done at the precinct level. So all of those ballots that are coming in and getting voted at a specific precinct have to stay there. So voters would have to have gone to their specific precinct, and so. There were more, more counties, and I should say specifically, uh, Republicans in certain counties that were considering this. But ultimately, so far, what we know is Gillespie is the one that's moving forward with it.
1: And it's the Republican County Party, Republican Party that's making this decision. It's not the county commissioners or the local elections administrator. It's just the, uh, the party that's figuring this out?
2: this is a party and the reason why is because by law the the parties, the political parties' executive committee so the precinct chairs of the parties have the uh, deciding authority over how the primary election is run and how the primary election the vote the the counting uh ballot counting of the primary election is conducted they are the ones who who have the authority to make that decision so Even though uh, we saw earlier this year that there was kind of like this effort to get the counties, county officials, the county government, to get rid of their voting equipment and go back to hand counting, um, that was dismissed. You know, county executives and and multiple counties across the state that heard this pitch um, just dismissed it completely because it wouldn't be feasible. It wouldn't be accurate. It's, It's just not it's not as safe. And. The party the, the Republican Party is using this avenue, uh, what you know what the election code says about the fact that they have the authority over their primary election, and the Democrats do do too over their primary election. and so that's why they're able to do this um, in March.
1: This is going to be a bold experiment. We shall see how well they're able to carry this out. Uh, the questions people have is like, well, how long will it take to get the ballots counted? And then how accurate will it be? But doing it on a primary like we're going to be having on on Super Tuesday in March for the Republican Party in a place like Gillespie County, that's going to be a really crowded ballot. So there's a lot of counting going on, right? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what about right. all, all of the, the accuracy? How long it takes? Are, are people not concerned about that?
2: I talked to um, a few members of the Republican Party in Gillespie County. and I asked them, you know, whether they were concerned about about that specifically. Right? Um, they still don't have a hundred additional people that they're going to need to count. So far, they have a hundred people. They need a hundred more. Um, and, you know, it, they told me that they've been practicing hand counting. So it's unclear how this is going to go. I think, just like you said, we're going to have to see. But I mean, research and, and election administration experts and people who have tried out and, and, and for research purposes done hand counting say time and time again that it's not going to be accurate, that it's going to take a lot of time and that it's going to cost more money because it will take longer Uh, to get done and so it it, like you said it's just we we kind of have to wait and see what happens um the secretary of state's office has been very firm about how they're not they're not gonna um waive any part of the law uh results have to be in uh 24 hours after the polls close no matter whether you're hand counting or using voting machines so that's still gonna have to happen and that's something that Gillespie county is gonna that's gonna be the challenge too right Finding the workers and, and and having enough people to meet those state mandated deadlines.
1: The Republican Party has this attitude that there is something wrong with the way we tabulate votes using machines because they have bought into the big lie of Donald Trump and Sidney Powell and all these other people, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, these uh, proven liars who um, saying that you know there's the, the machines are rigged and. But um, they were that—that that was a concern about the general election. So I'm wondering, like in the primary election, that's different. Uh, but is this is just kind of—is this a protest? What do they think they're doing, and do they admit that this is because they—they're inspired by Donald Trump's uh, rhetoric?
2: This effort to hand count that started in Texas earlier this year. It started with a lot of people from out-of-state election conspiracy theorists that came to Texas and were doing kind of like a hand-count tour, if you will. They were going county to county, trying to pitch, uh, getting rid of voting machines. And the the main thing that they keep saying over and over is that election officials and the people that are operating our elections that are conducting our elections are manipulating the votes. Right. And, and, and they're using um, voting equipment to do this. And they keep saying that voting equipment can easily be manipulated and, and that the votes are getting changed in between at this time. And like, you know, overnight, it, it's just wild. All of these things, there's no evidence to back it up.
1: Even though here um, in, te- so, in, in Texas, we do have a paper trail. It's not all just ones and zeros and computers. There There is a paper trail.
2: Right. And, and it's interesting to, to listen to all of these things that they're bringing and, and telling people, you know, at, at all of these events and meetings that I mentioned, because it's all examples or it's all videos or it's all, you know, information from different areas, different states, voting equipment that we don't even have in Texas, you know, all of these things. But it is based in that idea that election officials are going in and manipulating election results. Um, and there's just no proof of that. We haven't seen any evidence of that, no evidence of that here in Texas. And so that uh, that pitch, you know, was it was being thrown out there and put out there at the at the local level. But now the Republican Party, some members of the Republican Party are using, you know, this. This part of the election code that allows them to just run the primary in whichever way. And so I think the thing to think about here is that Gillespie is going to do this for the primary election and they're going to change the method in which they count the votes. Um, It's unclear, and I don't think so. I don't think they'll be able to do that for the general election. For the general election, the county. It's in charge of that election, so they would have to go back. So I think this is just kind of like this is when they are able to do it because by law they, you know, they have that authority. But I mean, I, I, I am expecting already to be reporting on efforts to do this for the general election, maybe to go to the legislature. Sure, they want to say, know, to look, "Look, we did it. We were able became.
1: to do it. You should be able to do it. Let's all do it this way." But I mean, right. th- this twenty-four hour deadline. I don't know if they're going to be able to meet that. Uh, that seems like a, a really tough challenge. Uh, what happens if they don't?
2: Um, I mean, they have to by law. They have to meet it. Um, but if, if they don't, they would have to, um, I don't know, That that's going to have to be kind of dealt with with their, with their legal staff, with the Secretary of State's office. You know, there could be um, state penalties for that. But it, it's also, like I said, I think we just kind of have to see how this goes, whether they actually get uh, sufficient staff to do this in the first place.
1: Are they allowed to use uh, calculators, you know, in, no. any, any kind of devices?
2: No, the law doesn't allow for any type of device. It's hand counting is done by hand. Uh, so by even, law, even all the
1: says. math is done by hand. Can't use an abacus? Correct. Nothing like that? No,
2: nothing like that.
1: And they're locked into this too late to change back.
2: It is late in the game to change um, this decision because planning for the primary election has already started. I mean, if January comes, first comes and they decide to go back to, they decide, hey, we, we're not going to have the people that we need to do this. And we want to go back and use the tabulator, right? Um, the county at that point could tell them, look, it's too late. We're not, you know, we wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Um, so there's still a chance that they could decide that they won't do it. But based on the interviews that I did with them and based on just kind of how far along they are, it's, it's not, I, I I don't, I don't think it's, it, I don't think they're going to back out of this. but there is the potential. It would be too late, though. I mean, like I said, planning for an election takes months, um, and so it would be it would be very late in the game yeah. if they decide to do it at the beginning of if they they decide against it at the beginning of the year.
1: Natalia Contreras covers elections, administration, and voting access for Vote Beat in partnership with the Texas Tribune. Here's a disturbing fact. Four out of every five kids killed with a gun in North Texas is a child of color. And that's a lot higher percentage of the minority children living in the area. Kate Yara's Carolina Love has the story.
3: story
1: Students at
4: Ignite Community School in Fort Worth got a visit from a special guest before the holidays. They also got presents and munched on sweet treats, all thanks to a group called Mothers of Murdered Angels.
5: Me and my crew, and Santa with the help of Santa, have brought you all some gifts, some cookies, some juice, and all of that for
3: today. How about
4: that? Belinda Hamilton co-founded Mothers of Murdered Angels with her daughters Keisha Mackey and Jaquita Alston. The family has lost several loved ones to gun violence, including Mackie's teenage son, Derek. Mackie says he was shot and killed by his bullies three years ago in Arlington. Gun violence was the leading cause of death for children in North Texas for a one-year period ending November 1, 2023, and most of those kids were Black, Hispanic, or Asian. That's according to a KERA analysis of data from county medical examiners. Ari Davis from the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions says firearms are also the leading cause of death for kids in the state and the nation. He says there was an unprecedented increase in gun deaths in the country during the pandemic.
0: While it's leveled off, we haven't seen it return to pre-pandemic levels.
4: Davis says most kids killed in gun homicides are teenagers. He also says black teens are killed in larger numbers than their white counterparts. That's true in North Texas, too. Only three out of the 48 gun homicides in the region were white teenagers. Davis says the racial disparities are related to systemic inequalities, things like poverty and lack of social services in black and brown neighborhoods. And they've been around for a long time. Victor Alvaliz says poverty and social inequality create a snowball effect that can lead to gun violence. He works with youth that are vulnerable to gun violence at the nonprofit Dallas Cred. Alvalai grew up in Oak Cliff at one of the housing projects he now serves. He says many kids in the neighborhood face the horrors of gun violence from an early
1: age. To navigate and survive this area, you have to learn internal strength that you didn't know you had.
4: Constant vigilance takes a toll on young people. Alvalai says Dallas Cred tries to relieve that burden. The group provides support by connecting youth with resources and holding community events. There's a particular event from a couple years ago that stands out to Alvali, one where the kids got to let go and be kids.
1: You just heard children laughing, giggling, using coloring books, putting chalk on the sidewalk.
4: Social connection and support make a difference. Davis says involving young people in their communities can help reduce their involvement with gun violence. Keisha Mackey says that's why she co-founded Mothers of Murdered Angels with her mom and sister. She wants the children in her community to strive for greatness, just like her son Derek did. And that's my dream. You have a dream, you have goals. Be encouraged of yourself because once you be that way, God is gonna bless you. For many kids, all of that can start with the right message and a little bit of holiday cheer. I'm Caroline Love in Fort Worth.
1: Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner is preparing to hang up his title as mayor at the end of the month. Houston Public Media's Ashley Brown takes a look back at the highs and lows of his tenure.
3: Mayor Sylvester Turner served eight years as Houston's mayor. Before that, he served 27 years in the U.S. House of Representatives, but the title for mayor had not crossed his mind.
0: My connections... And to the city of Houston, I'm very, I'm very deep. When I was growing up, I didn't envision myself becoming mayor. You know, I wanted to be a lawyer.
3: A vision that seemed out of reach for a young man coming out of Acres Homes, a historic African-American community, and even more so when he took office in 2016 as Houston's 62nd mayor.
0: I, Sylvester Turner. I, Sylvester Turner. Do solemnly
3: swear. Turner set goals to address Houston's potholes, infrastructure, public safety, flooding, and more. And just into his first term, the new mayor faced a big challenge. The tax-state flood hit Houston in April of 2016, nearly overflowing the Attucks and Barker Reservoirs in West Houston.
0: That's really when I discovered that we really didn't have a lot of assets to get people out of harm's way. We didn't have enough of the rescue boats or apparatus. There's been at least
5: a couple of more feet of water that has fallen.
3: The following year, Hurricane Harvey hit Dropping more than 50 inches of rain throughout some parts of Houston and Harris County, causing billions of dollars in damages. Six years later, Houston is still recovering after ongoing funding issues with the state of Texas.
0: In the end, we only received about 9.5 million out of 4.3 billion. The county ended up getting about 750 million.
3: Houstonians continue to get faced with events like winter storm Uri which caused the state's power grid to partially collapse in the boil water notice that affected more than 2 million residents for several days. Here's Councilmember Amy Peck, who criticized how slow the city was to notify people. A lot of people didn't know about the boil water notice until that text message went out at like 1030 the night of the boil water notice. Another controversy was the firing of the city's former housing director, who accused Turner of trying to direct millions of federal dollars to a favorite developer. Dr. Michael Adams, a political science professor at TSU, says one ongoing issue that income mayor elect John Whitmire will still have to tackle is unfunded pension liabilities in the city's budget, although Turner says he's been able to lower the city's debt and balance eight budgets.
1: The COVID relief money certainly helped the coffers of the treasury of the city of Houston. So now those funds are no longer there. And so what we're seeing
0: with the outgoing controller, is some prognostication about what the city finances will look like.
3: Turner's administration used federal relief funds to help critical city services stay afloat during the COVID 19 pandemic. It was also a time where Houston saw a major spike in crime, and Turner put forth his One Safe Houston initiative, a plan that involves gun buybacks, which some say is not as effective in a state with liberal gun laws and high gun ownership.
1: On the other hand, you have the Texas State Legislature that being against red flag laws and some people shouldn't have guns and these kinds of things, and also where you don't have to have a license to purchase and to own a handgun.
3: Affordable housing was one of Turner's priorities where he's credited with success. Houston gained national recognition for reducing his homeless population, moving more than 25,000 people off the street since 2012. He notes he wasn't able to finish his promise of building 3,000 single-family homes. During Turner's time as mayor, the city made a name for itself in energy transition as a top city for technology and innovative startups and for hosting high-profile conventions and sporting events. If Turner hopes he's leaving the legacy as one of Houston's more effective leaders, a November poll by Houston Public Media, Houston Chronicle, and the University of Houston shows nearly half of respondents saw him favorably higher than the two mayors who came before him. I'm Ashley Brown in Houston.
1: If you were a Texas wrestling fan in the 1980s, one name stood above all the rest. It wasn't Andre the Giant or Nature Boy Ric Flair or even Hulk Hogan. That name, Von Erich. A new film called The Iron Claw revisits the Von Erich family story. KRA's Stephen Becker looks back at when the Von Erich family ruled the sport and made Dallas a heavyweight of pro wrestling.
0: It's a Friday night in 1984. Work or school or in the rearview mirror. Time to flip on the TV, adjust the rabbit ears, and settle in for this week's broadcast of world-class championship wrestling, coming to you from Dallas's home for wrestling, the Sportatorium. Let's go to ringside announcer, Ralph Pulley, for tonight's introductions. First of all, on my right, from Minneapolis, weighing 240 pounds, Mr. Rick Flair. And his opponent from Denton County, the new World Heavyweight Champion, Kerry Von Erich. And if you thought the nature boy was gonna come to Texas and leave with a victory, well. Kerry from the ropes takes Flair down again. The Von Erichs seemingly had it all. Fritz, the father, wrestled professionally in the 1960s. Then he ran the wrestling association that would make his sons stars. It was a true family affair.
2: That was kind of the appeal of the Von Erichs.
0: That's Jeff Lyles of Dallas, who tuned into the broadcasts on TV when he wasn't at the Sportatorium to catch the tapings in person. Amid outlandish plots and over-the-top characters, the Von Ericks were easy to root for.
2: I think that because the Von Erich kids were kind of naturally good-looking, I think they ha- ended up having a much broader appeal, you know? The family aspect of it was unique. It was generational. You know, the old folks could get into Fritz, and the young people were into his kids.
0: The movie The Iron Claw tells their story. Sean Durkin wrote and directed The Iron Claw, as a kid growing up in England, he relished the chance to get his hands on even an old VHS tape featuring classic Von Erich matches. I remember seeing Kevin flying off the top rope in bare feet and just like seeing the brothers together and this beautiful, they were each such individual styles but together they were like this incredible team um, and the way they complemented each other. And so without even knowing about the depth of their brotherhood, I think I felt it just from being a fan. Durkin's film captures that brotherhood as well as the many, many tragedies that were part of it. A drowning, a sudden death overseas, a motorcycle accident at home, and multiple suicides. Of the six Von Erich brothers, Kevin is the only survivor. After the film's world premiere at the Texas Theater last month, he said seeing his family all alive, at least on screen, left him imagining that one day they'd all be reunited in the next life.
4: I think these guys did a great job, capturing the love, between us brothers, and then the love between our, us and our father.
0: There is a third leg to that love triangle. The connection between the Von Eriks and those screaming fans in the Sportatorium who lost it with every climb to the top rope. Here's Kerry in a 1984 pre-match interview.
5: You know, in this building I won the Texas title the first time. I won the American title. And now right
0: here in Dallas, I've won the world title. Well, during all those titles, I never forgot the people of Texas. And, and this would be no different. In other words, the wrestling may have been fake, but the love was always real. I'm Steven Becker in Dallas.
1: Communication is the key to learning. However, for some, verbal communication is not possible. However, one service in South Texas has found a way to reach unique individuals using music. KEDT's Kathy Edwards explains.
6: Music is a universal language. For many with special needs who have trouble communicating, music therapy is the answer. Robin Blue is a music therapist at Therapy Connections in South Texas, located in Corpus Christi. Blue works with children and adults who suffer from autism, Down syndrome, dementia, and other developmental disabilities.
5: Music therapy is the application of music and music-related strategies by a board-certified music therapist to influence Functioning for skills such as verbal and nonverbal communication, sensory awareness, and physical functioning. So we use music as a tool to address non-musical goals. And our training as music therapists, because we are
6: board certified, is, I would say, half musician and half science. Boo says understanding music is not necessary for the people she works with. She normally uses a guitar in her work. If they don't know how to read music, and we use like ABCs and one two
5: threes, where they might be matching, so it's working on fine motor skills, cognitive skills, attention span, and it gives that immediate reinforcement of being able to play a song, like I accomplished something. So I always say that music kind of masks the therapy behind it. Robin Blue got her start in music therapy by chance, but it was her love of music that guided her. I spent about 15 years in Nashville working on the music business side of things. I went to Belmont University, got a degree in commercial vocal performance, worked on the music business side, but I still wanted to use music to help people. Ironically enough, my dad had seen a program on TV about music therapy and went back to school in order to get the music therapy degree.
6: One particular memory stands out for Blue. My very first
5: job as a music therapist was working at the state mental hospital in Nashville, and we had a patient in the latter stages of Alzheimer's. This one particular session, I made a point to sing You Are My Sunshine, and he came up real close to me and kind of started swaying back and forth, you know, because he was nonverbal at that time, we thought, but stood up and started swaying back and forth with him singing You Are My Sunshine, and he started singing. chokes me up to talk about, but it was one of those moments where you're like, wow, because they often say with music, it's part of the primitive brain, so it's one of the last things to go that they hold on to. That's why music is so effective with those with Alzheimer's.
6: That's Robin Blue, music therapist for Therapy Connections in South Texas, located at 3458 South Alameda Street in Corpus Christi. For more information, visit their website at therapyconnectionsofsouthtexas.com. I'm Kathy Edwards in Corpus Christi.
1: That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. I'm David Martin Davies. You can email us at texasmatters at tpr.org. There are past Texas Matters programs on our website at tpr.org. And you can download the show wherever you find cool podcasts. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio.
0: Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.